And we get to continue today what has been for us a summer series called uh, Road Trip Life. And we're just going right through, almost verse by verse, through part of the book of Acts, Paul's second missionary journey, it's called. And I get to talk with you today about helpful friends. Now, I'm an old boomer, so you know what song may have come to mind. I get by with a little help from my friends. Gonna try with a little help from my friends. Yeah, I get by with a little help from my friends. Some of you are ahead of me. You know that there's another line in there that I'm not going to sing here on Sunday morning. You know that. You already know that. That's right, yeah. Uh, I heard that Paul McCartney just revised the lyrics to kind of update them for his experience. I get by with a little help from D-Pens. By the way, if you were expecting something better than this, it won't be. If you're done before I am, the deal here is you can uh, politely excuse yourself. But we're actually going to read the Bible here pretty soon. We are going to be talking about friends. And wow, what a great topic. The book of Acts is all about, by the way, what's the title of the book called? The book of Acts. Thank you very much. It was not a trick question. Four of you trusted me on that. It's called the book of Acts. Did you know that your Bible does not have the book of sweet contemplations? Does not have the book of Jared's solitude, pleasant, happy thoughts? Does not have the book of, "Mm, I think this is my worldview. The Bible does have a book called, would you say it with me? Acts. I like that. Do you? Yeah. Evergreen is an action-oriented place. We're all about theology. We want to know who God is, what he thinks, what he thinks about us, who we are, why he made us, how we fit together, what that means in terms of who God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is, and what's going to happen in the future as well. We want to know that. That's good theology. We are all about the Bible. And you know what else we're about? Sweating. Which is why evergreeners will never smell all that fresh. Because we do this Bible stuff, and then we go out, and immediately we start acting. And so we love a summer series out of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And it's why you're at Evergreen, even though people who stand on this platform and talk, they have done word studies in the Hebrew and in the Greek, and they've looked at culture, they've looked at geography, they've looked at history, they've looked at theology. And then when we come and talk about the Bible, it sounds kind of like U.S. State Today language because that's on purpose. And we get pretty quickly to, so what are you going to do about that? What does it mean in your life? And how are you going to do some acting this week? That's kind of a a way we approach things around here. We have a lot of respect for a lot of other ways to do church, but that's kind of it. We're kind of an action church. So I'm happy that I get to read with you today from Acts chapter 18. On the way there, let me tell you about Dr. Christakis. Dr. Nicholas Christakis in the early 90s was practicing medicine in South Chicago. He would take his... uh, leather black medical bag and would do house calls to failing patients. An interesting practice, kind of a blend of working class African Americans and retired professors and staff from the University of Chicago. One day as he was leaving the house of a woman who was in final stages of dementia, he was thinking about the research he was doing called the widowhood effect. This research about some kind called uh, uh, a surviving spouse dying of a broken heart. It's a very common thing. And he was thinking about it. And he was thinking about the relationship of someone that we're very close to and a major transition in their life and how that so often dramatically affects those of us that are near them. 
His thoughts were interrupted by a call on his cell phone. He picked it up. It was a number he didn't recognize. It was a voice he had not heard before. And it was a man who was calling the doctor to say, I'm concerned for my friend. Now, the friend happened to be, he's leaving the home of a patient. The patient's daughter was the caregiver. The daughter's husband's friend called Dr. Christakis. Said, I'm concerned for my friend. The patient is being cared for by the wife of my friend. She's exhausted. She's bringing that home. She's causing her husband to be sick. Her husband is anxious and sick. And I'm concerned for my friend. And Dr. Krasakis recognized that the compound effect of the influence that we tend to have in the lives of other people is dramatic, even to people that we've never met and may never meet us. Hmm. Gone on to discover the how relationships and the network affect everything in our lives, from, from what we weigh to smoking to voting, even to how nice you are. It's true, Marshall. You must hang around nice people. Yeah. He elaborately mapped relationships over time and saw that there was a ripple effect to at least the fourth generation of actions that people would take and the influence in the lives of others. So when we read in the book of Acts today, we're going to take a relational Angle. We're reading about some founders, some church entrepreneurs in the first century. When Jesus was resurrected, there was only a handful of people that closely, uh, closely identified as following him. Within 200 years, the Roman Empire was significantly impacted by Christians and Christianity. How did this first few days and weeks and decades unfold? And that's what we read in Acts. And we're going to hear about some familiar places, places you're even though they don't exist today geographically, we exist in our mind because uh, books of the New Testament were written to them as letters. And we read about these people who were engaged and we're going to learn about how they did life together. Let's learn about their relational connections in Acts chapter 18. Let's start with verse 18. It says this, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time and then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Crenshia because of a vow that he had taken. Pause for a moment. I, have, I won't chase the rabbit long, but I have to. This is Holy Spirit-inspired truth. This is going to heaven. God thought this was important for you to know. Are you ready? Paul got a haircut. Now, as a good scholar, I've studied that haircut. I know more about haircut than you would ever want to know. And I'm not going to talk about the haircut today because that's not the point. Here's the point. These people lived life so purposefully that getting a haircut made it into Holy Scripture. Yeah. So, Brad, next time you get a haircut, make it purposeful. Okay. Here's the point. These people live life on purpose. Don't get weird and spooky on me here. I'm going to go get a haircut. Now, some of you are grateful. You hope I go to another barber. I know you're praying for me. I'm going to get my haircut. I'm not going to make a big spiritual thing out of it. Here's the deal. They lived life on purpose. That's why you can trust how they related to each other because it was purposeful. Here we go. Verse 19. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, 
He declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it's God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a man, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And then Apollos wanted to go to Acacia and the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Would you pray with me? God, we pause and pray because what you want to do in the next few minutes is astounding. It's bigger than we could imagine. It's grander than when we could dream. It's broader than we would trust ourselves to venture. And it's probably more profound than some of us are even comfortable with. But we trust. God, by your spirit, would you take Holy Scripture, truth that's inspired and without error, and make it living word and life to us today? Holy Spirit, would you come and flood our lives in profound, saturating ways so that we can hear your voice as you teach us and guide us? And would you speak to us in ways silently, but profoundly and inwardly and convincingly so that we know what to do when we leave here today to cooperate and partner with what you're doing in our lives and through us? That's our prayer. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice these three, several things that just jump right out of the text. The places. There's Corinth, there's Ephesus, there's Antioch, there's Jerusalem, there's the region of Galatia. Notice the players. There's Paul, a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and a single guy, apparently, and younger, Apollos. Notice the four results that happened. Churches were started. That's a good thing. This church is almost 90 years old. We're still having babies. Happy to report that Grant and Martyr that we sent from staff a while back to Walla Walla are going to launch public services this fall. We're going to give you updates about that, ways that you can participate. We're still having babies at 90. That's pretty amazing. Ann and I are praying that we don't have babies at 60, but a church having babies at 90, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Churches were planted. Number two, uh, this, is, this is pretty awesome. Skeptics were converted. Yeah, We love it that Evergreen's a place where people with lots of doubts about God, lots of questions about God, touches of anger about God, hang out in their discovery of God. One of the reasons that skeptics like hanging around Evergreen is they find out that even for some of us that have been around God and following him for decades, like myself, I'm pretty honest about my doubts and fears and questions too. I have those. How can you grow in faith if you don't have doubt? Isn't that an oxymoron? I have no doubt, but I'm growing every day in faith. No, I don't think that's how that works. Where skeptics are converted, 
Last service, there was a gentleman that committed his life to Christ. He came from skeptic to believer. What an amazing thing. I'd like for that to be an evergreen experience, yeah. How about number three? Uh, Christians were strengthened. Yeah, every time they showed up together, they were stronger as a result of that. We want that to be your experience as well. So we want churches to be planted and skeptics to be converted and Christians to be strengthened. And then fourth, everybody was encouraged. That's why around here at Evergreen, we make the standard of our evaluation about our experience together, faith, hope, and love. We think if those are the big three that are going to remain, we'd like to get in on those now. If you want to be a part of a church that isn't full of faith, hope, and love, you want to be a part of a different place. If you have a gift of criticism, then please use that elsewhere, right? You understand? You got the spiritual gift of grump? That's great. There's churches that would love that. We're kind of a faith, hope, and love kind of a place. So that's what we see happening here, and I see a lot of Evergreen in that story. And the fourth thing that jumps out of the passage is that there are nine verbs that were happening. It is the book of Acts. And here are the nine actions. Accompanied, reasoned, declined, greeted, strengthened, invited, explained, encouraged, and helped. And we're going to make sense of those in two categories in in our time. Here's the point today. Point. You and Jesus will change your world as you engage... And as you encourage others, we think that's another way of saying the great command, love God and people with all you've got. So let's take these actions and group them into two categories. It's kind of like a coin. Some will be piled on top, four will be piled on the bottom. They're going to be encourage, engage, and encourage. First of all, let's talk about engage. Notice the verbs associated with engagement. Right out of the Bible. Accompanied, reasoned, declined, greeted, and strengthened. Here's the truth. Your associations affect you. So, question, who is influencing you? Birds of a feather flock together. My mom said more than once. Here's the deal. The people with which you habitually associate are called your reference group. And social scientists about reference groups suggest to us that 95% of your success or failure in life will be heavily influenced by the people that you hang out with. So we ask the question, so who am I spending most of my time with? Are they the same people that I admire the most? Are the two groups the same, time with and admire? And if not, why not? Some believe, in fact, that we become over time the combined average of the five people that we hang out with the most. So ask yourself the question. So what's the combined average of health, spirituality, Bible knowledge, growth in the fruit of the Spirit, generosity, Christ-like attitudes of the five people I spend most of my time with? Hmm. Because we know that the best way to increase our growth is to engage with people who are on the same path, and maybe those who already possess the traits that we're admiring and aspiring toward. Those of you that like homework, you're going to get two or three assignments in my talk. Here's the first assignment. Ready for this? Write down in one column the five people you hang out with most. Write down in the second column their traits, both positive and negative. And then ask yourself a little life audit question. Are they headed where I want to be headed? 
Because you see, if their average quality of health and spirituality and relationships and passion for God isn't where you're headed, you may be open to doing some life reprioritization. Because the people that you spend with time with will either nurture you or they will starve you or they will keep you stuck. And what we see as we return back to the passage today in this story is that Paul, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos were very selective about how they invested their time. Now, they spent time with all kinds of people, and so should you. The point of this message is not list all of the nasty people in your life and fire them tomorrow. You understand? That's not the point. Thank God he decided to extend toward nasty people. That includes me. And I wish he came to nasty and forgave nasty, and then I was perfect after that. And I'm what he points to for everybody. Say, that's my perfect son right there. You know, you know that's what I wish. You've lived with me for six years. That's not what you get. You understand that. We're very glad that God engages with us. Of course, we're going to engage with people that are broken and deficient and desperately need help along the way. But what we learn from these people is how leaders engage together in a way that helps them move forward. Notice their selectivity. First of all, Priscilla and Aquila chose to accompany Paul. How many of you think that was a good decision? Not a bad decision. Yeah. Number two, Paul chose to reason with some religious people. And then he chose to disengage from them, even though they wanted to spend more time with him. He wasn't ungracious. He just said, no, got other priorities right now. I'd love to come back. If God wills, you'll see me then. Number three, Priscilla and Aquila chose to engage with Apollos whom they felt had great potential, but he was deficient in a part of his understanding and teaching. Number four, other friends welcomed Apollos and then they sent him out to encourage others. And fifth, Apollos then contributed by helping other people grow in their faith. Four generations in this passage, Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos, and then to others as well, people that the first two groups would never touch, Apollos was able to reach. They chose to engage. They accompanied, they reasoned, they declined, they greeted, they strengthened, they engaged. These early Christian leaders demonstrate the power of thoughtful association. And maybe it would be helpful for us to do what apparently they did in categorizing some of those associations. I think this will be fun for you. Think with me. The first group of people in your life are those that you might consider courageously identifying a disassociation. Hmm. You say, that doesn't sound very kind. Yeah. Let's think about it. Many of you are parents. Many of you are, were parents of young kids. There's a uh, Older siblings here, there's nieces and nephews. We've all been around little kids. You remember what it's like to go to kindergarten or to send a kid, right? So you send your daughter to the first day of kindergarten. She comes home and one of her new buddies invites her to come over that weekend for a sleepover. And you as a good parent, this is what you do, right? You are thrilled that your daughter is making social connections and friends. And so you say to her, absolutely, that would be awesome. Find out the parent's address and I'll just drop you off. You drop the kid off and then you say, why don't you just keep her for a week? Right? That's what you do, right? Not on your life. 
No way. Are you making a judgment that those people are bad, pedophiles, and otherwise dangerous? No, you're not making a judgment about them. You're making a judgment about your kid. Your kid is going to be protected and safe. And until you can guarantee some reasonable extension of trust that your kid is going to be safe, there's not going to be any sleepovers. There might not even be a play date for a while. Because you know that putting your kid in the wrong environment relationally could cause her tremendous harm. And until it's safe, you're not going there. So here's my question for tall kids. We call them adults. Why do you not apply the same philosophy to yourself? Hmm. Thoughtlessly letting people invite themselves into our lives and pushing into our lives in ways that create some priorities until they have an influence on us that is actually taking us on a different trajectory than the Christ-following one that we had intended. So there's some thoughtfulness about that. You know when I talk, I, uh, I, do the, I open the Protestant confessional. You know that, don't I? I'm coming, I slipped in the booth, I'm sliding by. The screen's right here and you're there. You love it when I tell about my bad things. Most of them I do out loud and you just observe them. But this one's, I always come up with fresh ones. Here it is. Are you ready? I fired a friend last November. Fired him. Now, he's a nice guy and we still have gotten together a few times for coffee since. But he was in my circle of five. And I realized that the time that he wanted from me, the time he was demanding from me, the engagements that we were having when we were together, where he's going in his life and where I'm going in my life, did not warrant my making the priority of letting him reach into my life and become one of the five. I had to fire a friend. It was a reprioritization of how I'm going to engage with people in the limited resource of 24-7 that all of us have. Some of you might need to think this week about firing a friend. Mm. Some of you need to fire a Netflix series. Mm. Some of you might need to fire uh, some tap room peeps. I don't know what it is in your life. But reprioritization is always a part of life because life fills up from the bottom with stuff And without purposeful thoughtfulness, that stuff can force its way into priorities that we didn't intend. Hmm. Here's the second category of folks. Ready? Wisely identify limited associations. Now, you know this. You know that there's people that you can spend three hours with, but not three days. And it's not nice to talk about extended family right now. That's just, that's not nice to do that, right? Yeah. There's some other people you can spend three minutes with, but you're not going to spend three hours with. You understand, don't you? Yeah. They're fine, but you're not that fine with that much. Here's the deal. Decide how much time you can spend being influenced and being an influencer in their lives. Get this. This is powerful, gritty life stuff in this story. Paul said no to some sincere people that wanted him to hang out longer with him. Because he had some other relational priorities before God that he needed to get to. Amazing. Who do you set boundaries with? Is the question that emerges for us. Hmm. Number three, delightfully identify expanded associations. So don't just weed out the negative influences. Seek out and reach out for those people who have those positive qualities in areas of your life where you'd like to grow and improve. Parents, and you see some people that have some great parenting skills, hang around with them. You want your marriage to be better, and there's some folks. 
hang around them. There's somebody that just seems to have an on-growing personal discipline kind of life in their passion for God. Hang around them. Paul reached out to Priscilla and Aquila. And they reached out to Apollos. And Apollos reached out to others that they couldn't touch. And you do the same. Yeah. So find your mentors. Spend more time with them. Find your mentorees and spend time with them. Be a coach. Be coached. Pay it forward and touch others. A tremendous ripple effect. Yeah. Number four, find a peak performer. I love this. Priscilla and Nicola had a good eye to spot talent, don't you think? They saw something in the, uh, the Apostle Paul, this rough and ready guy, kind of boisterous and at times obnoxious, always spoke his mind, didn't have that many friends. They spotted his remarkable gifts and they said, we're going to, we're going to attach ourselves to him. I love this John Maxwell quote. I think you'll get a kick out of it too. It's hard to improve when you only have yourself to follow. Yeah. So team up with someone who is equally committed to personal and spiritual growth as you, is headed the same direction as you, somebody that you can trust, somebody that cares for you enough to tell you the brutal, honest truth when you need to hear that as well about your attitudes and about your performance, and someone that models the way for you to follow along with in moving toward Christ. You can get some very wise counsel for the cup of a price of coffee from most people that you look at and say, I'd love to spend some time with you. Well, there's a fifth and final one here, and it's invite, invite feedback. You have to ask. Priscilla and Aquila were courageous people. I know that because the day that they met Apollos, or shortly after, they, they took a risk. They offered some feedback. They were at Sabbath day at synagogue. He was preaching, and they went down the checklist, and they said, this guy has four or five things that are really great. He knows the Bible frontward and back, and he knows all about Jesus, and he represents him well, and he is passionate about his relationship with God, and he's skillful, and he's fervent uh, fervent when he preaches. And by the way, when he talks about Jesus, he has it dialed in. There's this one little thing over here that he's kind of off on. He's messed up on the baptism deal. He still thinks we're in the Old Testament under the baptism of John the Baptist. He's not aware of baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Austin was a few minutes ago. And what do you do when you see something that could be of help in another? I don't always do what Priscilla and Aquila did. They took a big risk, didn't they? They invited him home for lunch, and then they had Apollos for lunch. Yeah. And I think they probably said, these five things we see in your life, man, you are knocking it out of the park. You are 95%. We noticed one little thing. Would you care for us to tell you about that? And when they gave him that instruction, it says that he received that gladly. That's not how I receive critique. How about you? I don't always receive it gladly. I usually receive it with defensiveness. Who are you, anyone, to tell me about that? If you think you can do this better than me, then you can do it next time. Trust me, I know you. You have plenty of things to work on without picking on me. Hey, right? Courage on both sides to give the feedback, to humbly receive the feedback. And the world was changed for the better eternally because feedback was given and it was humbly received. So how does feedback work for 
you. Let me give you, let me give you five tips that I have found helpful. Just simply ask someone else these questions. How do I show up to you? <laughs> You'll get funny responses. What do you think my strengths are? Most people will happily fill in the blank for you. Where do you think, in what areas do you think I can improve? That's harder for people. Where do you think I sabotage myself? What's the one thing I could stop doing that will benefit me the most? What's the one thing that I could start doing? Courageous questions. Might change your world. I teach MBA students from time to time. A few weeks ago, I was with a class. It was a final class uh, after two years in the program. We were talking about feedback, and I gave them this list of five. I said, let's practice it right here, real life. I said, I'll be the target. I'm going to ask the questions. You give me feedback. And so I said, do you have any questions about where we're going to go? These are the questions you're going to, you're going to, uh, I'm going to ask these, and you're all going to respond. And uh, one of the really bright women in the class raised her hand, and she said, I have a question. How will this affect our grade? (laughs) That is a good question from a smart person. I said, I'm so glad you asked. It will affect your grade. If you participate, you'll get points for participation. If you don't participate, you'll lose points for participation. Your participation will affect your grade in a positive way. She said, thank you very much. I'm here to participate. And boy, did she ever. Yeah, yeah. So I asked the first question. So how do I show up to you? Now, I'd only been with them for a few weeks, and they gave all the disclaimers. We don't know you all that well. You know those softening phrases that we, we don't know you all that well, and you know my personal experience. My friend probably didn't have this experience with you, and, you know, and you, you know, I got it. Time out. Let's just talk. And so they answered the first one. The second question is fun to hear about, and so I deferred that to one of the students. I said, any one of you want to be the target of nice things being said about your strengths? And there were several volunteers, and I selected one. And around the room, each one of the cohort that had been living life with the student for two years blessed her by talking about strengths in her life. She was in tears. It was a powerful, moving time. It's what engagement does. It's how God wired us. And then we got to the third question, and I said, okay, target's back on me. So... So what areas do you think I can improve? There was a long, awkward silence. And finally, the smart student who wanted her grade affected positively said, well, and she started with all those disclaimers. Well, I don't know you that well, blah, 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 blah. And she finally got to it and she said, this is what I think you could do. And the students are going, oh my God. (laughs) And I thanked her for that. And, uh, and then I waited for the next one. Long, awkward silence because I was going to make them do this. Now, at the end of that time, we had to stop at three. At the end of that time, I said, I want you to tell me what was happening in your body while you were giving feedback. Not in my stomach, tight gut, perspiring a little bit, closing my body language down, putting my head down, not wanting to have eye contact with you. I said, what was happening in your mind? And the mind was, man, we don't know you that well, and I wonder if this is risky. I'm not sure I should trust it. I wonder how personal I should get. Should I keep it on the professional side of things? All kinds of questions that inhibit us from moving forward. I said, what were you feeling in your emotions? Anxiety, awkwardness, wishing that you would stop this exercise so that we could move (laughs) on, be more comfortable again, because the visceral experience of giving feedback can be very, very difficult, can't it? The early church was founded with spiritual entrepreneurs that, among other things, decided they were going to associate together and that they were going to tell the truth. And they were going to do that in an environment that even if they were 95% right on, that they were going to address the 5% as well. And Apollos models the way for us in gladly receiving 
that feedback. And the world was changed for the better as a result of that. Hmm. So find someone that's just two or three steps ahead of you in this area of life that you want to move forward in, marriage and parenting and spiritual growth or personal disciplines or quiet time or devotional life or communication skills or whatever it is, just two or three steps ahead and invite them to give you some feedback. Hmm. So first of all, we learned to engage. Most of our time was there. Quickly, let's wrap things up with the second side of the coin, which is to encourage. Here are the action words associated from the Bible about encourage. Invited. Explained, encouraged, and helped. Hmm. So let's return to Dr. Christakis in Chicago. Mapping relationships, he discovered that our interactions also ripple out through our relationship network, even to people that we've never met. This is true when you lose weight, when you act happy, when you act kindly, when you do the 4G network here of God, group, gather, and give. When you affect other people, they in turn intend to affect others. Now, over the last couple of decades, social scientists have discovered more about how God created you, and it's fascinating. As a result, if they watch an interaction of a married couple for 30 minutes and simply record the positive verbal exchanges and the negative exchanges, they can predict with 94% probability which of those couples will divorce and which will stay married. Positive and negative interactions. Now, researchers doing the same thing in other venues can look at a work group for half an hour and watch their engagement and predict the likelihood of there being high or low performance as a work group because God designed you to live within a certain balance and ratio of positive and negative interactions. Much more recently, in just the last few years, the physiology of how God designed you has designed you in that regard becomes apparent. What we have known is that we need to have five positive for every negative interaction. And we get at balance outside of the five to one, things tend not to go well. If we only have positive interactions, we tend not to trust people because it's obvious that they're just shining us on about the blind spots. If we have more than one uh, negative interaction to five, those are environments that are toxic and begin to wear us down. Here's how God designed your brain. When you have a negative experience, you have been criticized, you have been judged, you have been put down, you have been slammed, there is in your brain an immediate release of the stress hormone cortisol. And cortisol, among other effects, tends to stop the work and activity in the front of the brain, which makes you smart, adult, and rational, and tends to move the energy of the brain, primarily blood flow, which brings oxygen to the deeper portion of your brain, where your brain tends to go into a fright or flight response. And all of a sudden, the physiology of your body with this stress is gearing you toward doing some kind of action that may or may not be a rational action. Here's the thing with cortisol. It tends to be released longer than most of their hormones, and it tends to stay in the system longer because it metabolizes slowly. So here's the deal. You have a negative experience. You're going to be bummed by that for a while. You're going to feel it. And even if you are a wonderfully in Christ mature person and you do the thank, think, I don't know how it works. Somebody talked about it a while ago. I think maybe it's pray, think, thank, and do or something like that. You're working through it. It's about 20 minutes to work through the chemistry of what happened in that negative experience. 
Now, you're better people than me, so this is just theoretical about you, but it's what I do. I grew up on a farm. I'm around cows. I ruminate. That's when a cow burps up the chaw and chews the cud and works on it several times. That's what I do. So I have a negative experience. I might work my way through it, but then I bring it back to mind and I start reliving that, reworking it. Cortisol begins to go. I begin to have this stuff happen. It has a big effect in our life, right? Now, this is how God designed you over on the other side. When you have a joy burst moment, a different hormone is released. It's one of those that causes us to feel better. And when that is released for us, it has the ability to actually flood the front part, prefrontal cortex of our brain in ways that cause us to be more clear thinking, more expansive, more open, and more available. Hmm. That's how God made you. So if you have a philosophy of life before God that says, I'm going to be a critic because the best friend I can do is just to criticize you, and once in a while I will throw you a favor, what you'll discover is that's not how God made you, and it's probably not the way God relates to you. Hmm. So here's the deal. This is what's called the contagion effect in relationships. And it has to do with all kinds of behaviors, of smoking, obesity, and other kinds of things, that when I am engaged in something, that there is a ripple effect toward others. And if the cause of the effect of my life is consistently negative over time, the effect for them is going to be something other than growth and expansion. Encouragement is the word we have. Invited, explained, encouraged, and helped. That's what people were engaged in. These spiritual entrepreneurs that the Holy Spirit used to found the church from which we are an extension 2,000 years later on. Fortunately, the contagion effect in relationships works positively as well. So if you have a friend who has a friend who is happy, you will be happier. I know it sounds crazy. When you do something kind for another person, they are much more likely, 64%, you knew that I would have a percentage, to pay that forward by being kind to another person who then is increased in their likelihood of paying it forward as well. No wonder Jesus said, man... Do to your neighbor what you wish they'd do for you. Because when you do, it tends to end up coming around. It's how God made us. The favorite metaphor for Christians that get together in, uh, in the Bible is the body of Christ. That means that you're a cell. It means that you're utterly dependent on those around you. And it means that those around you are substantially dependent on you as well. What we find modeled in these heroes in the early church is that while their life was all about loving God and loving people, and their mission was to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his coming to forgive us of our sins and fill us with his Holy Spirit and make us followers of Christ forever, that's the mission They did it in a relational environment with people who would help them move forward and people that they could help move forward as well. They hung out with the good, the bad, and the ugly. But at the end of the day, they lived life on purpose and they made sure that they were giving priority to people 
that they were making a difference in their life in a positive way and vice versa. Let's conclude. Here's your application. Ready? It's simple because I'm simple. Number one, engage in purposeful relationships. Those of you that are introverts like me need to hear that because you need to challenge yourself this week to engage with some people outside of your little comfort zone. Those of you that are extroverts like my, aunt, my wife, Anne, that's a surprise to all of you that know her, I know. Extroverts may need to hear that there's going to be some people that you create some boundaries with. Here's the application. Engage in purposeful relationships. And number two, encourage others to grow. Great questions. Who mentors you and offers wisdom? Who challenges you to think? Who have you given the right to rebuke you and tell you no? Who gives you mercy when you fail? And who inspires you to seek faithfully after God? We get by with a little help from our friends and a whole lot of help from God. May he guide you in how to craft a life that is filled with loving God and loving people and purposeful about those relationships that allow you to contribute substantially in the lives of others and also allow you to be in an environment where you're challenged to grow and flourish and thrive. May Evergreen be a church like these in the first century. And may you find yourself in an environment with friends like Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. Be a friend. Find a friend. Grow together in Christ. Amen.